0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.
1: Good morning and welcome to episode number 91 of Go To Grandma, airing on Zoomer Radio on May 6, 2023. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and this is the show for today's grandparents and everyone who loves them. And if you are a grandma, probably you were a mom first. I encourage new moms to listen to my show as well, as we talk a lot about the new relationship you're going to have with your own mom as we both transition roles from daughter to mom to grandma. All worth celebrating. And one way I like to celebrate is with a glass of wine. But with so many to choose from, where do we start? I always start with my friend and wine author and expert, Natalie McLean. She's back on the show today, not only to share her picks for best Mother's Day wines, but also to share with us her new book, Wine Witch on Fire, Rising from the Ashes of Divorce, Defamation, and Drinking Too Much. This is a raw and personal memoir, which I thoroughly enjoyed drinking in. Maybe a great Mother's Day gift as well. If you are a new mom or a grandparent setting up a crib for the first time, you will be overwhelmed with the advice and products that are supposed to provide the perfect sleep experience for a newborn. Luckily for you, I have sleep expert Alana McGinn back to tell us how to create the best sleep environment at home and at grandma's house. Charity begins at home. And it can also continue to include your grandchildren. If you are charitably inclined, are you having conversations with your grandkids about why it's so important to you and how you can encourage them to be the same? Our Take 5 with RBC interview will provide you with some great ways to kick off this topic with some practical tips. It's practically time for the show to start, so I've got my coffee and my show notes, and I hope you are ready to get some fun and facts as usual. Natalie McLean is up first. Natalie McLean offers popular online wine and food pairing courses at NatalieMcLean.com. She's the host of Unreserved Wine Talk. Both of her first two books, Red, White, and Drunk All Over, and Unquenchable, were selected as an Amazon Best Book of the Year. Today, we're talking about her hot new memoir, Wine Witch on Fire, Rising from the Ashes of Divorce, Defamation, and Drinking Too Much, that Indigo Chapters just named one of the most anticipated books of the season. Good morning, Natalie. Thanks so much for coming on the show again today. Oh, Kathy, it's so great to be back with you. So we have lots to talk about with your new book, which we're going to get into. But off the top, I would love it if you would give our listeners a quick, what are some great wines that we could serve around Mother's Day?
0: Well, it's celebratory, so go right to the top with Champagne, Veuve Cliquot. She was a widow in um, the 1800s who built the brand Veuve Cliquot Champagne to one of the best brands in the world, and she did it as a single mom, Her daughter was just uh, six years old at the time. She's a real inspiration. If you want to go locally, try Joy Sparkling Rosé from Featherstone in Niagara. It's a real treat. And Riesling also from Niagara is wonderful. And if you want to go to the West Coast, try Hester Creek Syrah
1: mom likes a full-bodied red. Okay, I'm going to try all of those. You've convinced me. So we're going to get into your book, which I did love, and it is called Wine Witch on Fire, Rising from the Ashes of Divorce, Defamation, and Drinking Too Much. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read a little quick paragraph from your introduction, which is, this book is different from my first two. It's more personal and in parts more serious. We'll travel through the terroir of my industry, contoured by sexism, to look for a kinder landscape on the horizon. Why the witch theme? Witches resonate with me because their strength comes from within, not from external validation. They also embody the unity of women, the power of the feminine, and the healing connection to nature. Perfect setup for the book. Natalie, so what is this book about?
0: (laughs) Thank you. So Wine Witch on Fire is the story of how one woman, that would be me, Mm -hmm. um, resurrects her life and career in the glamorous but sexist wine industry. And it starts with my shock of when my husband of 20 years, a high-powered CEO, demands a divorce. And then the year gets even worse when an online mob of rivals comes for my job. So I'm wavering between despair and determination. I have to fight for my son, rebuild my reputation, and salvage my self-worth using my own superpowers, which are heart and humor and an uncanny ability to pair wine and food. Um, So along the way, though, on a more serious vein, I have to question my insider role in the slick marketing that encourages women to drink too much. And in the end, I need to reconnect with the vineyards that once brought me joy, the friends who sustain me, and my own belief in second chances. So this is a true coming-of-middle-age story about transforming your life and finding love along the way.
1: I know. I enjoyed reading it.
0: Thank you. But, Natalie, why did you write it? I thought, just walk away from this dumpster fire and forget (laughs) it. I mean, it was too painful to even look at my journal notes that year, and to write about it publicly would be vandalizing my own privacy. So that's what I did for five years. But the story ricocheted around my head all that time, and I finally realized I had to let it out, at least on paper. So for the first year I spent writing it, I had no intention of publishing it. It was a private exercise of making sense of what happened to me. But I realized that in keeping this story to myself, it was a way of not connecting fully with others. And my life had great curb appeal uh, because I had kept all my imperfections hidden. Mm-hmm. But I've come to realize that openness is the way to live a full, rich life. And vulnerabil- the vulnerability in the story opens the door and invites other people inside my life to show them the cracks that they might recognize in their own lives. And, and that's what's happened. The early readers of this book, they've been sending me letters and emails and telling me stories about their lives that have really moved me deeply.
1: And you touched on this. You talked about sort of the environment or the encouragement for women to drink and drink more, the mommy juice, all that kind of stuff. So, this isn't a self help book, but you do share tips on how you moderated your own alcohol consumption. Could you share a few of those with us?
0: Sure. So, now when I open a bottle of wine, I'll pour half of the wine into a clean, empty half bottle and recork it. So, this keeps it fresh for another night, and I'm more mindful of how much I've consumed. I drink a glass of water for every glass of wine to stay hydrated. And most importantly, Kathy, I ask myself, what was the thought before the thought that says, I need a glass of wine? And if it's about relieving stress and not just enjoying a glass of wine, then I try to find another way to solve that. Go for a walk, take a bath, watch a favorite show. There are lots more tips in the book, um, and I do hope they're helpful to those who read it.
1: And, you know, the book deals with very serious issues, obviously, but there's loads of humor, which is, again, one of your Mm -hmm. signatures. How do you strike a balance between the two? Well, you know, I think that you have to have some...
0: Well, humor has always been my way of dealing with tough times, and maybe that comes from my Celtic roots. We (laughs) find levity in darker moments, like the comment at one funeral recently about the deceased still showing up late. Um, You know, it's a way of celebrating life. But at the same time, I didn't want to trivialize the serious subjects. But it couldn't be one long, bleak narrative. We need comic relief in memoir, life, everything. Um, And something has to brighten up a book with the subtitle brought to you by all the dismal letter Ds. You know, divorce, defamation, Mm -hmm. drinking too much. You know, the publisher's marketing team insisted that we take out depression, destitution, (laughs) delirium. Just kidding. We weren't going to put all those in there. Anyway, but they say that comedy is pain plus time. Mm-hmm. And I certainly could have, could not have injected humor into this book ten years ago when I was in the middle of the situation. But now I can stand back with the wisdom of time and see how some of the more absurd things that happen do border on the comical. Um, You know, that said, my humor has changed over the years. It used to be very quippy and a defense mechanism to keep from revealing my feelings. And now I hope it's a a gentler approach that invites others in with a, a soft chuckle.
1: And you also have a companion guide for the book. So tell us a bit about that. Sure. So this free guide has
0: questions, uh, not only that relate to the book, but also about broader issues about drinking, sexism in marketing, especially wine marketing, dealing with trauma. It also recommends wines to pair with this book and other books. And it has discussion questions for book clubs, or you can just, you know, I always suggest, buy the book and uh, get it for your friends, and then you can all talk about it. This guide will give you uh, questions to prompt that, as well as tips on organizing an informal wine tasting with your friends. So you can get the guide at winewitchonfire.com forward slash guide com also has all the free bonuses I'm ask, uh, offering for those who purchase the book, including some private online tastings, and I will send anyone who buys the book a personally signed book plate so they can make it into a gift for others or for
1: themselves. And I love at the start of the book, Natalie, you have a QR code which takes you to wines that you recommend to drink while you read your book. like it's perfect. It's very meta.
0: Exactly. Yeah, we're going all modern and all fancy now. (laughs) Exactly. You are all fancy.
1: (laughs) And we can go to com of course, to get all this information. And I love following you on social media as well, Natalie McLean. Oh, thank you, Kathy. Such a pleasure to speak with you again. And thanks again for writing this book.
0: Oh, great to be back with you. And uh, yeah, I'll raise my next glass to you, Kathy. Cheers. Thanks, Natalie. Cheers.
1: Nobody loves sleep more than Goodnight Night Sleep Site founder, Alana McGinn. Since 2007, Alana has established Goodnight Sleep Site as being a number one sleep resource for families and her and her team of sleep consultants strive in helping families and corporations overcome their sleep challenges and have well-rested smiles in the morning. She serves on the faculty of the Family Sleep Institute, and she is a certified stress management coach and is the host of the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast. Good morning, Alana. Thanks so much for coming back on the show.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: So, you know, my youngest is 21, so it's been a long time since I had a little baby in a crib. But I have little grandkids in cribs, and crib setup has changed. Yes, it has. We do, we would talk to a lot of grandparents about it. And so I used to have, you know, crib pads, you know, sort of blankets and stuffed toys, which now are nowhere to be seen in a crib.
2: no. So we, we, you know, at Good Night Sleep Site, we focus a lot on the safe sleep practices of the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Canadian Pediatric Society and really focus on an empty crib, right? Mm So, you know, we had back in the day, there was the crib bumpers. I mean, back in the day, they're still there. The (laughs) crib bumpers, (laughs) the blankets, the big stuffed animals, the mobiles, you know, the crib is kind of like an an entertainment place. But what we want to really promote is just a clear crib. So certified safe crib, firm mattress, fitted crib sheet, and that's it.
1: And they sleep now, and my grandkids do anyway, in sleep sacks or sort of they're like a zip up snuggy sleeping bag thing, right, instead of the blankets.
2: Yes. Yeah, so we call those wearable blankets or sleep sacks. Those are great. Those are safe. Those are a great transitional piece. You know, um, you know, when we have our swaddle babies around that three to four months age, that's when we're weaning that swaddle out. And those sleep sacks Provided that their arms are free, is a great transitional piece. So it keeps them feeling safe and secure around their legs, but then it's going to keep their arms free because around that four to six month mark is when babies start to move around, right? So that's when we want them in, uh, you know, possibly moving from the bassinet to the crib or the playpen to the crib if they're spending time at grandma and grandpa's house because that's when they're going to start rolling over and moving around. So we, we want their arms free for that.
1: Yeah, and I know that my daughter also uses a tent that goes over top of the crib. She uses blackout windows. So total darkness seems to be sort of what we're aiming for for a good night's sleep as well. But you can tell me that as we get into this whole, the safe sleep environment for babies. What does that all include?
2: So when we're looking at a safe sleep environment, we really have to look at everything in the crib, but also around the crib as well. Um, So, again, following the AAP um, and the Canadian Pediatric Society is following the ABCs of safe sleep. So, that is having baby sleep alone. Now... In saying that, we work with a lot of families who continue to room share with baby. So there is a difference between room sharing and bed sharing. Co-sleeping kind of encompasses both of them. So when we're looking at room sharing, that is having baby in the parent's bedroom, but in a separate sleep space. So whether that be a crib in the room or, you know, and they're in the, if they're in that fourth trimester, in a bassinet. So having baby sleep alone in there, so for A, for alone, in their own safe sleep space. On their back, always placing baby down on their back and then letting baby decide the position that they want to sleep in. And then C is for crib. So having them sleep in that certified safe crib. So following those ABCs of safe sleep is what we
1: practice at Goodnight Sleep Sites. And you quickly mentioned this, but co-sleeping, which is still something that comes up. There's a lot of debate about it always. So you're the pro. What are your thoughts on co-sleeping?
2: So again, co-sleeping encompasses both room sharing and bed sharing. So if a family what where things can get unsafe is that reactive bed sharing, which, in, listen, I have three kids. We've all, we were all guilty of this, you know, when our, when our babies were little, it's pulling baby into bed, pulling baby onto the couch with you or onto a chair with you to get that last hour or hour or two of sleep, because, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and you're not ready to wake up yet and baby's ready to go, right? So that's where things can become unsafe. That's where. When we're working with families, families are coming to us and yeah, they're like, yeah, we reactively bed share. If you are choosing to bed share and have a actual family bed, that is a lifestyle decision. Um, and there are safe sleep practices in terms of bed sharing. I can nicely say we don't work with families who bed share because generally families who come to us are ready to stop bed sharing and ready for a baby to be in their own crib space. Um, but if you are choosing to take that Yeah, because that's actually a step that you want to take not just that you're being forced to do because baby isn't sleeping well throughout the night then there are safe sleep practices to do that
1: okay and so we go through all of your advice and it's wonderful what's the best age to start sort of with that whole sleep environment i'm assuming not day one literally so what would be the ideal age to put some of these practices in place Well, it is day one. Okay, I mean,
2: you know, so yeah. When we're working with, you know, when we're putting a sleep plan together with families, we're working on four key sleep tools. The first one, always being sleep environment, because sleep environment, a safe sleep environment, really should be practiced from day one, bringing baby home from the hospital, right, or or wherever parents have had babies. You know, whether it be a home birth or not. So. Really setting up that space. So again, focusing on what's going on in the crib. So we talked about you know removing the blankets and the bumpers and everything, but also what's going on around the crib, which often gets overlooked. You know, I, I always use this. I'll give a quick example of what happened at my home with my my youngest are twins. One of them, boy girl twins. When my son was pulling himself up from the crib, it was nap time, and I thought, oh my gosh, we need to lower the crib. So. Um, his dad lowered the crib, but, you know, we did it kind of in the dark and, and got it all done and put him down for his nap all quick. And when we walked into the room to wake him up from his nap, the outlet was right oh. there, like Oops. in his crib, but it was covered because the masters was higher, right? right? So it's like little things like that that we need to, where are the outlets located? Where are the cords from the blinds, cords from monitors that babies can kind of pull into the crib, and that could be a strangulation hazard. So it's all of these things that we need to kind of focus on, and that should be started from day one.
1: Okay. I mean, there's so much that we need to work through. What about that age when they're sort of moving from crib to bed? Any quick tips on on a smoother transition there? Moving from crib to
2: bed, again, we still want to
1: focus on on a safe sleep space. This is where now we have to look at what's going
2: on in the room. So Mm -hmm. this is where parents need to now start focusing on bolting, making sure furniture is being bolted to the walls, making sure, again, there aren't cords and things that, that kids can grab that can become strangulation hazards. Do we need to put something like a door monkey on the door? Um, or baby gates up on the stairs in case kids can kind of escape their bedroom. So always focusing, looking at the room now as one giant crib. We have to crib that room,
1: if that makes sense. Oh, I love that. That makes sense. And if we want more information, of course, we can go to goodnightsleepsite.com. Find all about the services that Alana and her team provide. You can listen to her on the podcast. This girl loves sleep, a podcast. Thanks so much for your great advice today, Alana. Truly appreciate it. Thanks so
2: much for having me.
1: Kim Lewis is a philanthropic advisory specialist within the Family Office Services team at RBC Wealth Management Canada. Prior to joining RBC, Kim spent over 15 years working in the charitable sector. With unique perspective on the intersection of charitable gift planning and major gifts fundraising, Kim works alongside the RBC Family Office Services professionals and RBC advisors to provide strategic advice and guidance to clients in developing their charitable giving and legacy plans as part of their broader wealth management planning. Good morning, Kim. Thanks so much for being part of the Take 5 with RBC interview this morning.
3: It's my pleasure. Looking forward to the conversation.
1: So for parents or grandparents who are charitably inclined and who are hoping to extend or bridge those charitable values through to their kids or the next generation, why are the conversations about your charitable intentions so important? Well, I think-
3: The first thing to consider is that for many parents or grandparents, equally for the unofficial aunts and uncles out there, um, godparents, if you ask them what kind of child they want to raise, they lead with adjectives like kind, generous, empathetic, or thoughtful. But while we prioritize the opportunity for kids to explore their interests and strengths in the sports, the arts, or science as they grow up, we often don't consider volunteerism or charitable giving as an equally important pillar. Yet it's through these activities that young people can begin to have exposure to and begin to understand the challenges faced by others. And it's through these activities that young people will have the chance to practice these values and see their importance. These conversations also offer the opportunity for parents or grandparents to share their own values, interests, and lived experiences with their kids or grandchildren. This work can provide meaningful opportunities for quality time and for kids or grandkids to see their parent or grandparent in a different light, engaging in a different kind of activity.
1: And for our listeners who are thinking specifically of their own kids and depending on the age of the kids, what would be the kinds of things to focus on or to talk about?
3: I know that often parents want to protect kids from the challenges that we face in this world. You know, just let them be kids for a few years. But the truth is, Kids are far more intuitive than we sometimes give them credit for. They see the kid at school who's being bullied or doesn't regularly bring a lunch. They see the homeless person on the street as you walk by. They know that there are animals suffering. So for elementary age kids, this will focus on introducing the concept of empathy. Encourage them to explore how different situations make them feel. Or ask them how they might feel if they were faced with a different obstacle or challenge that they see around them. And as appropriate, encourage them to consider how they could help someone in a particular situation. And then for a middle school or high school age children, let's not beat around the bush. They have a phone. They have exposure to all sorts of local and global issues through social media, through the conversations they're having with their friends, and in some cases through what they're learning in school. They may already be connecting with like-minded youth. Consider, for example, the incredible global community of young people that have mobilized around Malala Yousafzai or Greta Thunberg. I would encourage you to uh, ensure your home is a place where your child feels comfortable exploring and discussing these issues that are resonating
1: with them. So can you give us some examples or practical tips that our listeners could try today or start to get the conversation going about charitable intentions and encourage those charitable values?
3: Absolutely. For younger children... Consider story time at night. Introduce books that highlight the kinds of values and activities you hope your children will consider. There are great ones now about young people, about men and women who are known for their values of giving back or of overcome adversity. And for older children, invite them into the family's charitable giving. Perhaps they're given a portion of the annual budget and can select a charity that they want to support. Encourage them to do some research and present that organization to the family for consideration. And then for kids of all ages, two ideas. First, role model the behavior you want. We call it get caught caring. When you're out with your children, display the same kinds of decisions and behaviors you hope to instill in them. It might be as simple as encouraging them to grab two or three extra items at the grocery store if you can afford it and drop them in the food bank donation bin on your way out. Or consider inviting your child, if appropriate, to join you on a site visit or an event being hosted by a charity that you support. Or maybe sets time aside to volunteer as a family. Maybe it's once a month or once a quarter. And you get to rotate who chooses that activity. It's a great way to see what kinds of issues are resonating with each member of the family. But remember, volunteering doesn't have to mean going to a site hosted by a charity and participating in an activity that they organize, like starting food at the food bank. It could mean participating in a charitable walk or run or something you organize on your own like a river cleanup, so long as it's done safely. Or even reaching out to an elderly neighbor to offer assistance on a house project they
1: can't do alone or cooking them a meal. These are great ideas, Kim. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. If we want more information, of course, we can go to the RBC Wealth Management website. And if we want to see a video about your team, we can go to the RBC Wealth Management Services, Our Approach. And we can follow you on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, of course, at RBC Wealth and Wealth Management. Thanks again, Kim. Thanks. I want my children to have all the things I couldn't afford. Then I want to move in with them. Phyllis Diller, don't worry, kids, I'm just kidding. But if I did, I'd know how to set up the perfect infant sleep space thanks to Alana. And I'd know what wine to drink when they're asleep. Thanks to Alana and Natalie for once again sharing their sippin' and sleepin' wisdom. And an early happy Mother's Day to my own mom, Jillian Buckworth, who continues to be the model of kindness to myself, her six grandchildren, and her soon-to-be three great-grandchildren. Next week on Go to Grandma, we are going traveling, but in the most sustainable way possible. I'm going to be chatting with Booking.com about their just released Sustainable Travel Report as we discover how important it is to us all to leave the smallest footprint possible while taking steps to see the world. One of my favorite parts of the entire world is right here in Canada. You'll hear about my latest visit to PEI and how they are also promoting green and sustainable travel in their tiny but beautiful part of the country. Our Take 5 with RBC interview looks at what you need to know if you have a grandchild going to post-secondary studies in the U.S. this fall. There's a lot to organize, so we're going to get you started early. Thanks again for dropping into the show. You're going to want to tune in every week leading up to our 100th show as we will have some great surprises and listener giveaways for you. That's all coming up in the next month. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to, Go to Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey.
0: Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter, at Kathy Buckworth, or email her, kathy at kathybuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.